CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time to Ben Drosky show as I speak. It is Thursday, March 30th, 2023. The election, Chicago mayoral election is right around the corner. Uh, so as I always do, I always like to tell you what's in the news of the day before I begin uh, my interview. And I'm going to just cite this story, a little self-promotion regarding a story called Mr. Self-Promotion. Uh, and uh, it's a column I wrote for the reader. Oh, Ben, you're citing yourself. Yeah, I am. <laughs> Paul Vallis looks to bring back the bad old days of high stakes testing. And I, ladies and gentlemen, part of the reason I, I brought back uh, this article that I just recently wrote, this column I recently wrote, is because my distinguished guest is uh, very patiently sitting on deck waiting to come on. Uh, and I were conversing before the show. Uh, as I do with every distinguished guest. And we started talking about his high school days in Chicago, uh, back in the, the good old days of like what the, the early part of this century uh, at Whitney Young High School. And it brought back memories of a great revolt at Whitney Young, all go you dolphins, uh, against one of the stupidest ideas that I've ever seen come out of Chicago public schools. And I've seen a lot of stupid ideas out of Chicago public schools, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, I have been following, follow me on this, obsessively following Chicago public schools since like the early 70s. You go, Ben, you're not you're old enough. Well, okay, I wasn't a working journalist. I was just a kid at the table. My mother was a public school teacher, a union delegate. She would come home and tell us these fantastical stories and the aptitude of the Chicago public schools. And I'd be at the table going, Oh my God, this is, that's for my worldview. The dumb ideas that the bureaucrats and the politicians who run this city come up with and force teachers to teach. Ah, anyway. So there's, this is not an easy competition when you're talking about the dumbest idea. I mean, this is like the NBA all-star game. Okay. This is the top players in the game. You know how the NBA All-Stars has the greatest basketball players of all time? Well, when it comes to dumb ideas from CPS executives, it's a lot of competition. But Paul Vallis, the man you are about to elect as your mayor, Chicago, 
that Paul Vallis, when he was running the school system under Mayor Daley, Mayor Daley sent him over to run the schools, thought Chicago students aren't tested enough. We need more tests. And by the way, he still believes this. That idiotic rant he went on about uh, critical race theory, which he's trying to distance himself from, like he's trying to distance himself for every idiotic rant he's gone on. In that rant, uh, where he was denouncing critical race theory and talking about how it's going to lead to the downfall of families, white and black. Still so twisted and weird what he said. I don't blame him for running from it. Uh, but in that rant, he talked about how we need more tests and we need to you know, move away from history. Things like history. <laughs> of, course, of course he wants to move away from history because he doesn't want anybody to know the history of what he's done. Anyway, we need more testing. So back in 2000, 1999, thereabouts, uh, he in instituted this test called the case test. I wrote about it. It's in this story. It just, uh, and uh, it was one more standardized test that Chicago high school students had to take. They already had to take a state one and a national one. So he added his own. They spent your tax dollars on this, folks, as if they weren't tested enough, a third test. And to their credit, the young scholars at Whitney Young, some of them, rose up angry and, and protested. I give them so much credit. These kids who did that, they were rough. They're now pushing 40. But back then, they were babes in the woods, 18-year-olds, 17-year-olds. I had so much respect for them. They had, like, they had the guts to go down to the Board of Ed and speak out against this test and point out how ridiculous and absurd it is that so much time is being taken up by forcing kids to take tests. We, we need to take another test to see how much you know. And then we're going to, if you don't do well in the test, we're going to teach you how to take the test. And that way, you produce citizens who are so dumb, they elect as their mayor a man who thinks critical race theory will somehow or other lead to the downfall of white and black families. I think there's a correlation between forcing kids to take mindless, standardized tests during their class time and then having a citizenry that will just do whatever they're told. Just move along. Just go from one mayor to the next. And the, the reasoning Paul Vallis gave for all those tests, is he wanted to end social promotion. So you could not promote to the next grade unless you mastered all the skills. And so he's flunking kids left and right and holding kids back. And then big surprise, the dropout rate soared. So the next crew that's running Chicago public schools, they went the other direction. They got rid. They brought social promotion back and essentially made it very difficult to flunk a kid. And guess what? Dropout rates fell. And here's the Here's the thing that was in common with both. When Paul Vallis was making all these public school students take all these tests, leading and then holding them back, and the dropout rate was rising, the mainstream media praised him. When Arnie Duncan and, I don't know, Rahm Emanuel got rid of, uh, brought some social promotion back, made it hard to flunk a kid, and the dropout rates fell, the mainstream media praised him. He just completely reversed the thing that Vallis was doing for which they praised him. So that's the similarity, folks. 
Teachers do all the work and mayors get all the credit. That's how it happens in the city of Chicago. You better learn that. I learned that at my mama's table back in 1971. All right, without further ado, I'm going to bring on my distinguished guest who has been patiently sitting by. Distinguished guest, please introduce yourself. Hey, Ben, it's great to be here. I'm uh, Saket Bachi. I'm um, with the Action Center on Race and the Economy, or ACRE, um, which focuses on state and local efforts to win racial economic justice uh, by taking on Wall Street and big tech. And as you said, I'm a proud graduate of CPS under Paul Vallis, unfortunately. Yeah, you were there, Whitney. You were not. Now, this is folks. He was not one of those troublemakers who showed up uh, to denounce uh, the testing policies of the city. But I'm sure your heart was with those troublemakers. Oh, correct? yeah, I was I was a star student. I was not. There was not a test that I was going to purposely fail. I remember I actually got a phone call the night before uh, from my friend Charles um, saying, hey, we're, you know, do you think you're too many tests? Yeah, we have too many tests. Well, we're going to you know, fail this test tomorrow. And I was like, oh, that's a stupid idea. It'll never work. And uh, boy, was I wrong. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it was, uh, I mean, it was just amazing because like they, I mean, in that year, there were, I think, what, seven kids who flunked the t- or the first year, my junior year, I think there were seven kids that flunked the test. My senior year, they organized 200 kids all across the state uh, to flunk the IGAP test, right, which was the uh, the statewide test uh, that, that existed. Uh, and it really sort of grew into a big movement, and it was just so impactful. Yeah, no, these are tell, oh God, we're not, we're far afield, we shouldn't be talking about this. These are sp- not really pass or fail tests. These are tests to sort of I- indicate where a child is at any given time so that, uh, you know, teachers and, uh, and parents can be what, uh, more strategic uh, in that student's learning. So these are not supposed to be pass or fail tests, but back then in the height of testing fervor, they became pass or fail tests. So students would intentionally do poorly on them. Really smart kids would intentionally do poorly. Unlike me, who did poorly on them, just because that's how I did with tests. Uh, and uh, when you do poorly on a, a standardized test like this, particularly back then, you really sort of put your career in jeopardy, if you will. So gutsy move by um, these students. All right, uh, let's uh, turn our attentions to uh, the matters that I really want to talk to you about. Uh, Sackham's been on the show before. He is an expert uh, in municipal financing. Uh, researcher in municipal financing, how governments uh, raise the money they need to pay for the goods and services uh, that it costs uh, to run government officially. Uh, and um, excellent analysis recently uh, about uh, Paul Vallis's days running CPS and how uh, Paul Vallis, the, the banking maneuvers, uh, the, 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 the lending programs instituted by uh, Paul Vallis and the Chicago Board of Education actually added uh, to the budget more money spent on bankers, uh, which means more money of your tax dollars going to things other than uh, education, uh, yet in the name of education. Uh, so why don't you just do some of the highlights of your investigation uh, and what you discovered, if you will, about the total amount of money added to the budget, or as close to a total as you have of in banking fees because of the, the Vallis uh, policies. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, what we found was that, you know, I mean, Vallis just really has a record of kicking financial problems down the road and leaving future generations of, of school children with the bill, right? I'm, you know, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm, I'm 40. Uh, Vallis entered into deals while I was a student in CPS 
that we will still be paying for when my 10 month old starts school in CPS in four years. Right. So it's, uh, the, his impact has already been intergenerational. I just don't want, you know, if we elect him again, I don't want my grandkids to be paying for his bad deals as well. Um, you know, so while he was CEO of CPS, he took out the school version of payday loans, um, which are called capital appreciation bonds, which I can tell you all about. But basically, we ended up paying one and a half billion dollars in interest on just $666 million in debt, right? More than twice as much interest as the actual underlying debt. Uh, he started a pattern of skipping pension payments that went, uh, that basically caused the, the pension fund to go from being fully funded to having a $10 billion shortfall. Uh, and he also, you know, took out some variable rate bond deals that basically uh, later, the city had to take, or the, rather, the school district had to take out you know, toxic swap deals to try to mitigate some of the damage from them, and that also cost millions. Uh, and so, you know, all told, between um, the various debt deals that uh, that Ballas did, and you know, with CPS, was you know, like over one and a half billion dollars, and as well as the, the ten billion dollar pension shortfall. And then, you know, when he got fired over here, he went to Philly. To head their schools. I mean, this is a guy who gets fired wherever he goes, right? Like it's, uh, you know, it's, I think if you look up the definite, uh, if you look up, you know, like bailing upward in the dictionary, you'll probably see his picture. Um, it's he goes to Philly then. He does a similar thing there where he takes out a bunch of variable rate debt deals and then enters into toxic swap deals. And over there, you know, it costs the the Philly uh, school district, you know, 161 million dollars. So all told, that's like almost you know, two billion in bad debt deals just between two billion with a B in bad debt deals between just these two cities, uh, and as well as sort of you know, being responsible uh, ultimately for you know starting the trend of pension holidays, which led to a ten billion dollar shortfall. Hmm. Okay, so uh, I think that uh, anybody uh, in Chicago, anybody listening, understands the notion of adding interest. Uh, to a principal payment if you're buying a house. So if the house costs uh, $100,000, just going with a nice, easy number, uh, you don't have $100,000. You have to borrow the money. To borrow the money, you have to pay interest to the bank. The bank's not just literally going to give you money. Uh, so the actual cost of the house is not $100,000. It'll be, uh, I don't know, whatever that $100,000 plus the interest. Uh, and that's what you will ultimately pay over time. Um, how is it? How does how does paying uh, twice as much in interest? Uh, so going back to my um, uh, example, that means if you buy a house that's worth a hundred thousand, you if you pay twice as much in interest than the house, uh, then you would pay like three hundred thousand dollars total, because uh, the interest would be more much more than the actual cost of the house. So, how does what Vallis did? In your uh, estimation, in terms of paying, ending up paying twice as much or having policies that end up costing the taxpayers, I should say, twice as much as interest uh, than they actually borrowed compared to what actually an ordinary homeowner would pay in to borrow the money, go. So, you know, back in, in a few years ago, the Texas controller actually did an analysis of these deals, you know, these capital appreciation bonds. And he found that typically you end up paying three times as much interest when you do it using these capital appreciation bonds as you would have if you had done a traditional bond. And so, uh, 
And I mean, that's a huge, huge difference, right? So like we paid one and a half billion in interest on, you know, like so then 666 million in, 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 in principle, like if we, if we pay it three times as much as we would have otherwise, that's a billion dollars more than, you know, than it might have been with a traditional bond. And so that's the key difference. That so with a capital appreciation bond, the reason and that's why we compare them to payday loans, um, because the way it works is that the borrower is not allowed to make any principal or interest payment for many, many years. In the case of CPS, it was for as much as 14 years in one case. Um, and, you know, like, Officials like Valis, they like these deals because then they don't have to pay the, they don't have to make the payments, right? They get to stick their successors with the bill. Um, and while they're in office, you know, like, well, if I had to pay for 14 years, well, I'll be gone by the time the bill comes due. But all this time that you're skipping payments, interest is accruing and the unpaid interest gets tacked onto the principal and then you pay interest on the interest. And so as a result, by the time the, the payments finally kick in, the principal has grown just many magnitudes uh, and the payments are much, much higher. Uh, and so, you know, similar to like, you know, this is, a, this is an example that I think resonated more with folks like in 10 years ago uh, in the days of the foreclosure crisis. But like, um, you know, it's kind of like a deferred interest mortgage, right? Or like a negative amortization loan where, you know, you don't pay any, you don't pay any interest, you don't pay any, um, any principal, but then you have balloon payments down the line. And, and that often is when people got in trouble, right? And that's basically what ended up happening here, that we got to skip payments for, you know, Ballas' entire term, uh, but eventually we had to pay the bill and we ended up, uh, we're still paying for these deals and we'll be paying one and a half billion dollars in interest. I read this uh, in uh, uh, the article about your work and uh, you just said it. So I just want to make something clear here. Uh, you said, uh, doesn't allow the borrower to pay back the principal or interest for several years. Uh, are, do you mean doesn't allow or doesn't require? Does not allow. There's a big difference between. Wow. Does, even if you pay. Does early, not allow. No. Yeah. I mean, you, so I Go guess ahead. it's not exactly. The, you could pay it early, but if you pay it early, you still have to pay the same amount you would have paid if you had not paid it early. Uh, so the bank, I mean, the, the bondholders are guaranteed that, that high interest rate. So the prepayment penalty is whatever you would have paid, even if you didn't pay early. So in effect, it doesn't allow it. <laughs> so what is the argument that could be made uh, for entering into an agreement like this? Like if you, if we lived in a system, we had a legitimate democracy in the city of Chicago. And in 1998 or 1999, when Paul Vallis uh, uh, made these borrowing decisions, all right, when he was very much an agent of Mayor Daley running the schools, imagine we had a small D democracy and he had to go to the public. The public wasn't the typical sheep that we are just doing whatever we're told in 1998, 99. He had to actually convince the public that this was a good idea to pay all this extra money borrowing <laughs> and borrowing fees and interest fees. What would be the argument you would make? Go ahead. I mean, there's really like, there's not a, like in a, a legitimate democracy, this just wouldn't happen because the only reason to do it is that you don't want to have to pay the bill. I have a budget crisis. I'm trying to figure out how to cover my bills. 
and I need to borrow some money, but I don't want to have to, but you know, I can't afford to make the payments on it. So let me just, you know, I, I can kick it and you know, kick the can down the road uh, to let somebody else have to pay the bill later. And this year we get to, you know, have a balanced budget. And so that's the only reason to do it is so that you don't have to worry about payments now. Uh, and you can skip all the payments now and get somebody else with the bill. It's, uh, yeah, it's something that just would not, this would not be a thing uh, in a legitimate democracy. So if we had paid the bill then, if we had borrowed money uh, or just at like an ordinary rate uh, without this uh, 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 excessive uh, interest rates uh, down the road, would it have added to property tax dollars right then and there in the year 1997, 1998, 1999? I mean, it may have, uh, but much, much smaller, right? So the thing is, if you pay these as a go along, uh, then, yeah, but then the payments are much, much smaller than if you if you pay nothing and then have to pay a whole bunch later. So I mean, I guess, I guess that would be a reason, right? If you get to say, like, especially if you're, yeah, like, well, you won't have to pay anything. Your kids might, but you won't. Uh, and so that, I guess that could be a way, uh, or, you know, it's like you're living in a town where everyone is, you know, up in years and none of them expect to be alive. Then like, you know, maybe like, well, you won't have to pay it, but like the younger people, like it's, uh, but yeah, that, that's, so it's true that back then people saved property tax payments, but in, I mean, you know, the, the, the deals that he did, uh, one of the, they kicked the can down eight years, 11 years and 14 years. Um, and so, you know, I think most people, even then, like most people who are taxpayers, city taxpayers, uh, in, you know, 1997, when he did the first of these deals, probably were still taxpayers, uh, you know, when that deal came due. And I believe that one came due in, I think the payment started on that one in, let me just consult my numbers to give you the actual year. Uh, oh, that was the longest one. So the shortest one was the 1999 bond, uh, which was you know a $300 million bond, which came due just eight years later. And so if you were a taxpayer in 1999, like you probably had to pay on that later on. And so you didn't even kick it that far down the line to make it beneficial for, for you in most cases. So you have another uh, maneuver that you talk about uh, in your study, uh, and that is interest rate swaps. Please explain to folks what an interest rate swap is and how that adds to the amount of money uh, they pay uh, in taxes to the schools. Yeah. So when uh, you know, cities or school districts take out debt when they do bonds, uh, borrowing money, they can either do a variable rate, get a variable rate loan or a fixed rate, or a fixed rate loan. Right. And so it's similar to, uh, you know, you can either get a fixed rate mortgage, which has the same interest rate for 30 years. Or you can get an adjustable rate mortgage where you, you get a lower rate on the on the front end, but then there's always the risk that if you know interest rates shoot up later on, that your payments will will go sky high. And so it's the same thing with school districts uh, that you can get a fixed rate or a variable rate. Uh, and if you get a variable rate, you get a lower rate in the front end, but interest rates can shoot up. So when uh, Vallis, uh he basically really, I think, pioneered intra variable interest rates for CPS. Uh, so in 2000, he did a deal that sort of toggled back and forth between variable rate and interest and, and fixed rate. Um, and so typically, 
you know, subsequently, uh, uh, cities and school districts started entering into uh, interest rate swaps. Uh, and their goal is to essentially, it's supposed to be to offset the risk that interest rates can shoot up in the future. Uh, when ballast entered into the deal, the variable rate deal, CPS wasn't yet, school districts in Illinois were not allowed to do interest rate swaps. And so he did not do a swap alongside of it. But in 2003, there was a change in state law. And so subsequently in 2007, Arne Duncan entered into a swap deal. So what a swap does is basically uh, the school district pays uh, into the side deal with a bank that is linked to th that, that same bond deal that it's done to the variable rate bond. And in the side deal, basically, um, you know, the, the bank agrees that if the school district, if CPS will pay the bank a fixed rate, that the bank will give them a variable rate payment that'll be more or less the variable rate that they owe on the bond. And that way they can, you know, they don't have to worry about interest rates shooting up. So they call it a synthetic fixed rate, uh, right? So it's basically the idea is that it's supposed to be cheaper than taking out a fixed rate bond, uh, but you don't, uh, because the fixed rate that you pay on the swap is lower than that, but you don't have to worry about interest rates shooting up. And so basically it was a gimmick to save money. Uh, and the thing is that these deals had a whole bunch of... Uh, you know, really like pitfalls built into them, a lot of risks uh, that really materialized later on. So one of the biggest one is that there's many cases under which banks can actually force the cities or school districts to terminate the swap uh, and pay prepayment penalties. And the prepayment penalty is similar to, uh, you know, the payday loans. It's basically the net present value of all future payments on the deal. Uh, you got to pay all the future payments right now, 30 years worth today. Um, and the other big risk is that, you know, like these deals were designed in the anticipation that, you know, in the you know, late 90s, early, early 2000s, especially interest rates were like quite low after the, the dot-com uh, you know, bubble burst. Um, interest rates were yeah, at historically low places. And every expectation was the rates were going to go up. And, you know, actually in 2006, 2007, rates started going up. And that's when these interest rates were supposed to, interest rate swaps were supposed to pay off. Uh, but the problem is that, well, you know, in 2008, the banks crashed the economy. And as part of the bailout, the Federal Reserve slash interest rates down to near zero. And so, yes, in you know, the early 2000s, they've been, you know, at historically low rates, but now they went even lower down to like a quarter of a percentage. Uh, and so these deals, these toxic swap deals were designed with the idea that, uh, you know, school districts would be able to you know, do well if the if rates went up. But because banks crashed the economy, these deals became huge, you know, like just uh, drains for on, on school district budgets. So CPS, uh, just on balances deals, uh, or that the deals linked to Ballas's, uh, you know, variable rate debt uh, ended up uh, paying $2 million a year across all of its swaps. CPS paid like $36 million a year. Um, and so finally in 2015, um, the uh, when CPS's credit rating got downgraded to junk, 
that's actually one of the termination clauses and like one of the termination triggers uh, for these deals is if your credit rating drops, then you know the banks can terminate the deals and make you pay penalties. So that's exactly what happened. And so on the the swap connected to uh, Valis's deal, uh, you know, until through 2015, uh, we paid 16 million dollars in payments on the swap, uh, and then we had to pay another 16 million in termination penalties to get out of the deal uh, because the our rating dropped, uh, and so it ended up costing you know costing us 32 million dollars <clears throat> just the swap deal uh, linked to. Um, linked to Ralph's bond. So uh, this is, uh, it all adds up uh, uh, over time. Uh, actually, $32 million, as outrageously high as it is, it, it, I mean, it's like, oh, that's a good deal. Just uh, the kind of debt that's uh, mounting uh, across the country in so many ways. Uh, but then again, uh, one more time, ladies and gentlemen, most of this money is paid for from with your property taxes. Uh, and if they're going to bankers, if it's going to pay on interest, uh, if it's going to pay for bad uh, financial decisions, fiduciary decisions made by a fiduciary overseas who, overseers who are supposedly the brightest people in the city of Chicago, uh, it's money that's not going into the classroom. Uh, there were probably those in uh, the uh, Vallis camp who'd argue they would be better off not going into the classroom. Uh, I'm not because there are those who despise teachers so much. They would rather go to bankers than teachers, but that's a whole other conversation. Uh, so my question to you is this, Sako. Why is it, this is more of a psychological question uh, than a financial question. So why is it, year after year, we do uh, stories, see stories in the newspapers about the uh, financial uh, apocalypse that the city is facing. It's just, I just saw one. Uh, in the uh, Sun-Times or Tribune last week, or where uh, Miguel DeValle, the, the head of the uh, Chicago po- uh, Board of Education, who's leaving now, his term's about to up, is talking about this enormous obligation that whoever inherits uh, his mantle responsibility will be facing. The can. <laughs> We've reached that part of the road where the can uh, is right in front of our toe. Uh, there's other articles about how the city vo- avoided a financial apocalypse thanks to a bailouts by uh, Joe Biden and the Democrats with COVID relief. Uh, but those obligations that the, t- the city will be facing will be coming uh, due anytime soon. So why is it that our city is run by people who constantly kick the can down the road and never... Uh, settle up our obligations. And yet those are the people that we turn to to run our city. So Paul Vallis, again, one more time, looking pretty strong in the polls these days as we sit here four days before the election, uh, is the overwhelming favorite of voters uh, on the northwest and southwest sides and uh, and the Gold Coast, where people presumably care very much about their property taxes. Why is it that we continually turn to people like Paul Vallis to run our city, even though they're the very same people that got us into the mess that we're now facing? Help me with this, Sakab. Help me understand this. Go. Yeah, I mean, Stockholm Syndrome? I don't know. I mean, well, that or, or you know, just good old-fashioned racism, right? We... we uh, you know, show me a white man in a suit, uh, you know, hopefully with some gray hair and like, uh, you know, maybe missing a patch of hair uh, up top. And the, that that guy must be great uh, with money. Uh, and, you know, it's uh, that's yeah, I mean, that that really is it. Right. That like the, the idea that we would trust 
uh, black or brown folks with money seems to be something that people are really afraid of. Um, and really what that speaks to is that we're afraid of where they're going to spend the money, right? Like, are they going to spend the money on black and brown people? And this is the other thing we're talking about the gold coast, gold coast. Uh, I mean, I think I bet if you look at where is the greatest concentration of kids uh, who don't actually go to CPS, I'm guessing it's in the Gold Coast, right? Um, I mean, it reminds me of um, this uh, uh, this poll that came out, like I think during the 2012 teacher strike. The strike was heavily supported by all parents of, across all demographics, except for parents who didn't have kids in the system, uh, in the CPS system. And so I think there is this thing of like, uh, you know, like we, um, I think ultimately racism just plays a really big role here. It's that we actually, there's a question of whether or not, uh, you know, wealthy white people actually believe that schools that are, you know, 90 per, 90% of the population is, you know, black and brown should be run well, should actually provide a good education. And I think like that's, that's really what, what, what this comes down to. Because yeah, if you actually look at what's happening, like, yeah, how can you, as you said, you know, how can you say that like the person or the, all the people that are responsible that have brought, like, how can you say that we're at a place where the city, the school district is all in financial ruins and yet the only people who are qualified to get us out of it are the ones who, who got us into it. That makes no sense, right? Like people talk about, oh, well, you know, Vallis has experience. Yeah, he has experience. He has experience really screwing up a school district, not just one. He has, you know, he's left a trail of destruction across the country, whether it's Chicago or Philly or New Orleans or, or Bridgeport, Connecticut, right? I mean, this guy, has he even had a job that he has been fired from? I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, we keep we keep bringing him. Uh, we keep thinking that he's going to be our savior, uh, and really, like, is that about him or is it about the fact that we're not ready to to give the the you know the keys to a black man? Well, I um, have a lot of thoughts uh, on this topic, uh, and I'm not sure I want to take the deep dive uh, on this at this moment, but it's worth uh, getting into uh, some other time. I'll just put it this way. Uh, I, I entertain this uh, this question, this debate every election season. I think it seems like uh, where uh, people that live around me and look like me um, challenge me about the people that I'm supporting for mayor. Uh, and so I remember this conversations back in 2015 regarding Jesus Garcia when I supported him uh, over Rahm Emanuel. Uh, and uh, I remember in 2011 when I supported Miguel de Valle over Rahm Emanuel. Uh, I, 2007, uh, Dorothy Brown, I supported. I wasn't so bitch a big fan of Dorothy Brown. I was just I could not, I could not understand how anybody in the city of Chicago could elect uh, vote for Mayor Richard M. Daley after the four years of corruption that we had just experienced from 2003 to 2007. Um, and there's just always this notion that somehow or other uh, running a city of Chicago requires experience. And I'm thinking there is no job in the universe 
that's the same as being mayor of the city of Chicago. So nobody has experience uh, at running the city of Chicago uh, except for the incumbent mayor. And many times that mayor, his or her performance makes you want to go in a different direction. So I just I've always, it's, it struck me, it's just a, a, an excuse, Saka, to not vote for anybody other than the mayor to, to throw that out there. Do you follow what I'm saying? Like, what? Because the reality is that if, let's say Brandon Johnson gets elected, he's going to hire someone like you to advise him. Do you follow? He's not going to be the guy making the budget. To, he's not a bond expert. He's not a municipal financing. He's going to bring in someone who who's going to advise him. And then you have to have the faith that he uh, has the wherewithal to make a decision based on all the facts laid out by people like you as advisors. It could be a battle of advisors. You're a lefty. He could have you in there. He could have a centrist in there. And you guys would battle it out. And then he would have to make his decision. So you're really sort of voting on the decision-making ability of a person or the wisdom of a person or that what you think is the honesty of the person. It's not like <laughs> Brandon Johnson is going to be literally up not uh, honey, I can't come home tonight because I'll be writing this bond proposal uh, that has to, the deadline to get it out is tomorrow. Do you follow what I just said, Zaka? Absolutely. I mean, it's 100% right. Like, it's really at the end of the day when you're electing an executive, like, yeah, it's all about, are, like, are they, who do they listen to? Will they surround themselves with the right people? Are they willing to take direction from the right people when needed? Are they, you know, do they have good judgment? Do they actually, uh, you know, are they willing to, uh, you know, own up to mistakes when they make them and, and, and shift course because we'll all make mistakes, but then are you willing to own up to them and then shift course or do you double down on, on failed practices? Um, and what we've seen from Vallis is, uh, he doubled down on the same failed practices, the same privatization, charterization, uh, you know, financial gimmick playbook everywhere he went even though it failed everywhere he went. Yeah, I would, um, the only argument I can make, and I'm really bending over backwards, to justify uh, the financial schemes of the city uh, in the late 90s um, is that it gave, <laughs> I can't even make the argument with without laughing at the old argument I'm making. I'm really bending over backwards, to be fair. But there was a sense uh, that the city was had had turned a corner on public education uh, and was spending money uh, in a positive way on po public education. Uh, there was a capital construction program. This is when you were like in your high school year, Sacco, and the city was very proud of that. And they were um, uh, cleaning up schools and building uh, school playgrounds and uh, uh and there was uh, summer school programs, et cetera, and so forth. There was like money spent on public education uh, that had, hadn't been spent in the previous years. Uh, and it was like putting those flowers in the middle of the roads. You remember that from the, the 90s? This yep. is for very daily-esque and wrought iron fences. And like Chicago was cleaning itself up and investing in itself. Uh, so, okay, that short term charge that we got out of that investment uh, was worth the exorbitant 
amount of money we spend on interest. I guess that would be the argument someone would make. I, I personally don't think so. Um, the flower pots have like gone to hell anyway. You know what I'm saying? After a while, no one's taking care of them. They're just filled with cigarette butts. Uh, but that's that's kind of how I see it. Do you follow on? There was such a boost uh, for the city. Uh, and uh, so they did that by... Uh, you know, borrowing money that they didn't have to pay back right away. And they did it by not making pension pl- payments and using the pension money uh, instead of dedicating it to uh, the pension funds, spending it on other things. I don't know. What do you, do you buy that argument? I mean, you know, it's interesting because I think um, what it points to is, um, you know, like folks like Vallis, like Daly, like Rom, they're all performative, right? They actually, they want things that look good but they're not necessarily focused on the actual impact because like, okay, we built like, you know, lots of new schools, like we you know, built new buildings, all these things at the same time that like the dropout rates were, as you pointed out, skyrocketing because, you know, we kept failing all the students, right? We like turned a lot of schools into charters, uh, but charters, you know, like there's not, not everyone has access to charters, right? Like uh, charters sort of cream students. Uh, they sort of take, uh, you know, take students who are doing well and basically leave out students that they don't want. Lots of students get left behind and they skim money off from the school district. Uh, we had, uh, you know, I was, when we talk with the summer school programs, so when I was in college, uh, my summer after my freshman year, uh, I, my summer job was, I was um, uh, a tutor in the summer bridge program at Clinton Elementary School, right? So it was basically students who had been held back who'd failed third grade uh, because they their Iowa test scores weren't high enough. Uh, and that's the only reason they failed because their Iowa test scores weren't high enough. Otherwise, they would have passed. And so I was, uh, and so they basically had uh, 10 weeks over the summer to get re-caught up on everything uh, and then retake the Iowa test to see if they could go on to the fourth grade. And I was the teaching assistant in a classroom there. And, you know, it's, there was something about when we talk about teaching to the test, like the lesson plan was to go through pretty much the same material that these students struggle to cover in, you know, 10 months in 10 weeks. <laughs> and like, there are like, these two sisters, I still remember, who couldn't read. And of course, we weren't able to, going to be able to teach them to read in 10 weeks. So part of my job as a teaching assistant was to read all the questions to them. And then, you know, and including questions that are like, which of these words rhymes with broom? Is it room or sandwich? Right? Like, what rhymes with and like, but this was literally my job. This was, this is the system that Paul Vallis created. And so when we sort of talk about, oh, here's all the great things that he did, uh, or, and I, and I, you're not seeing that, but like when people sort of talk about, oh, this is, these are the things like he did stuff that made him look good. Uh, but that he left basically, it was, a, it was a house of cards that all came tumbling down. And that's, there's a reason why, you know, so many of those things had to be undone. Uh, both uh, under Duncan, but also more recently that the CTU has really fought over the past decade uh, and changed to, to really undo a lot of the, a lot of his big mistakes. 
I did not know uh, that you were a tutor in that circumstance. What year was that? Do you recall? That was summer of 2001. Now, do you recall, was there air conditioning at, at Clinton back in those days? Uh, you know, I don't know. Don't remember? Don't remember. Because I remember, yeah. I, I have so many memories of this, uh, some which are like gallows humors. People have accused me using gallows humors on so many fronts. Now we're now we moved away from finances, but it's all part of the same thing. Performative is an excellent word. Everything uh, is set up and arranged to win a positive headline. Uh, for well, this is what got Val's in trouble. The headlines are supposed to be for the mayor, Mayor Daly, but as <laughs> Valis forgot that, and he the headlines were all about Valis, and so Daly said, "I'm so sick and tired of Valis getting all the headlines. I'm the mayor." And so he uh, threw him out, (laughs) pushed him out. Uh, But so one of the things I remember for up until recently, Chicago's uh, public schools did not have air conditioning. And some of these old buildings, they're like, they bake like ovens when it gets hot. And you go up at the third floor or the second floor of one of these buildings and the heat rises. Oh my God, it's sweltering hot. And like, you're talking a hundred degrees on a really hot day. And I remember summer school going to visit one of these schools where they had summer school classes. I was friends with the uh, assistant principal. I just was visiting her and she took me upstairs. It was so hot in that classroom and they're getting like, they're doing this thing. Okay. Which word rhymes, Sally broom room sandwich hit hint. So the kid will get to answer it right on the test. Kid can't read, but they figured how to teach the test to the kid. And then when it's all over, this kid magically passes the test. They go, aren't we great? This kid passed the test. It's we tortured these kids in this hot room. These kids are like sweat pouring down. The teacher standing in front of the fan. Every now and there was one room in the building where there was an air conditioner. It was where the assistant principal's office was. Every now and then they would get to go into her office. <laughs> I'm like, this is utterly insane, Chicago. And then the report, you know, the tribute. Great news on the school front. The scores went up 22%, thanks to Paul Vallis. Of course, Daly reads that and goes, no, it's thanks to me, not Vallis. You're fired. (laughs) I did not know. See, that's where the worlds come together. Because they were essentially paying for that summer school with the money they did not have to pay the interest rates on. Then, okay, then, (laughs) but down the road, you know, they had to pay a lot of interest rates. And and I'm not going to shame the voters, Saka. There's so many young lefties like you who give me a hard time for shaming voters. <laughs> I'm not going to shame the voters. <laughs> I'm just going to resist doing that. But yeah, but that's uh, a good but, point. Uh, like, uh, yeah, a, a little piece of those plastic swap deals went to pay for my summer school salary back in 2001. And my kid will still be paying for that. So you're losing money on the deal. Whatever money they made off that you made that summer of 2001, you're going to pay for in property taxes. You lose money on the deal, Sockup. <laughs> hey, Chicago, you lose. You always lose because you elect these losers. Sorry, that was Ben speaking, not Sockup. Um, uh, <laughs> so if you were to be uh, hired 
by Brandon Johnson or Paul Vallis. Isn't that just pause to think about Paul Vallis calling you up after this interview, Saka, and saying, Saka, I'd like to hire you as my municipal investment guide uh, when I'm mayor. Uh, what would the first advice be to uh, the mayor that hires you in terms of borrowing schemes? Go ahead. I mean, we need to, for borrowing schemes, like anything that's a scheme, we should stay away from it. Like for borrowing, boring is good. Like plain vanilla 30 year fixed rate bonds. Like that's stick with that. That's, that's the, yeah, that's the way to go. Anytime uh, we are looking at these, you know, new, exciting, exotic products, uh, you know, the, in, in the industry, like the financial industry, the financial engineering, like, you know, banks aren't spending their time trying to do, you know, create new products to save us money because it's actually a zero sum game for them. Any money we save is money that they don't make. So if banks are coming to us pitching us a new way to save money, there's probably a catch. And that catch is going to cost someone a lot of money. It may not be you, but it'll definitely be, you know, your kids, your grandkids. Um, and, uh, or, or it might just be you actually, right? Like it's, it might not even save us that much money that far down the line. But I think that's, that's the biggest thing is that we have, uh, you know, too many, uh, you know, public officials really like because they're afraid to raise progressive taxes because they're afraid to, uh, you know, raise taxes on wealthy people and major corporations. We end up relying on both like, you know, things like taxes that hit, you know, poor people the hardest. We end up relying on, you know, fines and fees like speeding cameras. How we end up relying on these gimmicks that are supposed to basically you know, help us, you know, close our budget gaps uh, because, you know, oh, you know, right now we have a lower interest rate. Oh, I, like, oh, I can skip some payments right now. Uh, but you're sort of setting us up for long-term disaster. And the thing is that, like, you're creating a ticking time bomb. And when that time bomb goes off, it will be a much, much bigger cost than it would have been if you'd actually done the right thing before. And so that my biggest advice would be that you need to just stick with plain vanilla, boring municipal bonds. Wow. Yeah, they'd probably throw you out the office uh, after about a month. Uh, maybe the Vallis team would. Uh, all right, we're going to close down this interview, but I just want to point out one last thing. Uh, I think, having heard what you said, I still think the worst financial deal uh, the city involved itself in in your lifetime uh, was the parking meter deal, because essentially we, the way that worked is uh, we uh, <laughs> sold an asset worth ten billion dollars uh, for one billion dollars. So effectively, it'd be like borrowing a billion dollars and then paying ten billion dollars. Uh, in interest rates, well, nine billion in interest rates on top of the, the 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 amount you borrowed. So I still think, as bad as these uh, convoluted banking deals uh, that the CPS under Vallis uh, underwent, I still think the parking meter deal was a worse deal. Uh, he <laughs> now here we are having a dis- it's like a barroom discussion, which was the worst financial deal the city of Chicago entered <laughs> by engineered by the very people we're now going to turn the car back over to. Uh, so I'll let you have the closing word. Uh, is parking meter deal the worst deal or am I overlooking something? And I agree. I think parking meters are absolutely the worst deal. I mean, uh, both in terms of like the, 
the, the actual finance stuff, as you said, like a $1 billion asset that was actually all the money we got was spent before daily even left office, uh, right down to the, the actual impact it had on, on our streets, right? I mean, like just, you know, parking, like when, like I go to other cities now and if I have to pay, you know, put money in the meter, I'm like, wait, 25 cents, I get a whole hour. Like that would buy me like three minutes in Chicago. Right. It's, uh, <laughs> But uh, city. I think the, the but really it's like what, but if we look at all the ingredients, of the parking meter deal, there's privatization, kicking the can down the road, taking the money up front, right? There's the, in effect, like paying many times what you're putting into it because of what you're getting out of it, uh, because you're kicking the can down the road. Like these are all, you know, like, yeah, daily, or daily did those deals. Emmanuel kept those deals in place. You know, I bet Ralph would look at those saying, gosh, I wish I'd done that because those are all like, it has all the, you know, all of Ralph's greatest hits uh, are sort of included in that deal. And so uh, what I'm worried about is what else is, you know, what else is, is he going to privatize uh, and sort of, you know, give away the farm on uh, if we, uh, if we bring him into office. Um, and yeah. The one other element I would add uh, that's essential part of the parking meter deal and essential part of all these uh, borrowing schemes uh, is the complete lack of any independent thought and critique, uh, and that is so. That is such an essential Chicago trait. Uh, Chicago powerful Chicago mayors distrust hugely distrust any independent thought. They don't want to hear anything that's contrary to what uh, what they what's on their mind right now. Uh, and so, yeah, again, uh, there was, um, no discussion when Paul Vallis and the board of ed entered all those financial deals back in the late nineties. And there was none with the parking meter deal. I'll leave with a little bit of hope and I'm going to laugh at myself for even having hope. Uh, but uh, today in the Chicago city council, they did a reorganization, uh, in preparation of the, for the, the next term so they re, the, the alderman decided who would be council chairs showing a little bit of it in other words they don't know who the next mayor will be but they made sure that allies of brandon johnson and allies of paul vallis got committee chairs in other words so they're not going to be depending on whoever that mayor is to determine who gets the goodies in the chicago city council and you could say as some of my cynical chicago journalistic friends have said uh that it's totally self-serving uh, for those individual aldermen are now chairs, uh, or you could say, as I choose to look at it, uh, well, it's the first step toward independent thought. So maybe they will now evaluate, now they have done that, maybe they will evaluate the next bond deal, the next parking meter deal. It's not going to as soon as I say that, I feel so, like such a sap. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I'm trying to be hopeful. Uh, are you going to buy that hopefulness for the moment? Hey, listen, I'm hopeful. Listen, I, I think, I think Braden's going to win, uh, next week. I mean, Vallis, he's lost more elections than Ross Perot, right? Like, I think, I think he's going to keep that going. I think he's, he's, he's going to keep his streak going. Uh, and I think that, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm excited to really, uh, you know, wake up Wednesday morning, uh, to, uh, you know, mayor elect Braden Johnson. Did you come up with that just now, or had you read that somewhere? He's lost more elections than Ross Perot. Uh, I had not read that anywhere. Wow, that's pretty good. I think it's actually true. Yeah, uh, Ross Perot for your listeners. Uh, Vallis has lost three elections, and Ross Perot, I believe, only ran twice. 
Uh, we ran twice for president. I'm not sure if he ran for like, governor of Texas at some point or another. So I, don't, I actually do not know the answer to this. But that's a great line. Ross Perot ran twice. Uh, young people in the 90s. Look it up. You can look it up. And while you're uh, looking things up, look up Dion Warwick, everybody. All right, that's an inside joke having nothing to do with the conversation today. Uh, but I got to laugh out of Sakup. Sakup, thank you so much for taking time uh, to come and talk to us and for all the good work you do, all right? I think it's great to be here. All right, Sakup. Uh, uh, I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. 